Covenant is here again. Join host Pastors Adama and Zama Segbaji for Covenant 2019 with the theme, Let My Covenant People Go, with special guest speakers, Pastors Taiwo and Nomthi Odekoya from the Fountain of Life Church, Lagos, Nigeria. Guest artists include Lydia Cobbs, Victory Voices, and Vine Song. Dates are 14 through 16 August 2019, 7 p.m. each night. Venue is Solution Chapel International, home of signs, wonders, and miracles. Barnfield Road, Northgate, Crawley, RHT. 10 ds Call 07938-494-294 or email info at solutionchapel.org. The website for more information is solutionchapel.org. Again, that's 14 through 16, August 2019, 7 p.m. each night at Solution Chapel International. Don't miss Covenant 2019. Let my covenant people go. The Solution Word with Pastor Adama Segbeji. Pastor Adama has a passion to uplift people and see the body of Christ excel. His aim, to bring hope to the hopeless and solution to the nations. In this message, you will learn. Jesus said, for the son of man is not come to destroy men's life. So any prayer that has its root in destroy somebody's life, Jesus doesn't answer. Say amen. It says, for the son of man is not come to destroy man's life. So why are you praying? Destroy her. Destroy. No, no, no. That's not Jesus. This is a month of joyful praise. And it's, a, it's my prayer that you will experience spirit of joy that in everything you do the spirit of joy will be made present in your life let me tell you something where the spirit of joy is depression is destroyed hallelujah you cannot operate in the spirit of joy and be down people who operate in this spirit the spirit of Joy, they are always up and above, and that will be your testimony this month in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, I'm really excited about what I'm about to teach tonight. Uh, I have no doubt that you will really be blessed, amen. All right, um, we've been looking at um, the misconceptions of grace. Uh, since last month in our weekday services, but uh, we want to conclude it today because um, there's so much, but we have to, you know, the Holy Spirit said, you know, you can't teach everything in one subject. Is that, is that not true? You can't teach everything in one subject. So we have to end it here and then we'll start a new series, God willing, next week. Amen. All right. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 from verse 54 to 56. The book of Luke chapter 9 from verse 54 to 56. And look for your information is in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. If you are looking for a page, it's on page 1000. <laughs> Hallelujah. I read, the Bible says that 
And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias or Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And they went to another village. And we are blessed by the reading of God's word. I'm continuing and concluding my, my teaching that I have titled, The Misconceptions of Grace. The Misconceptions of Grace. And this is part four. The misconceptions of grace. And this is part four. We have already established in this teaching that grace is a very important subject. When you refer to it as a teaching, it's a very important subject. But also we did understand that great is grace is not a subject but grace is a person and his name is Jesus Christ but in as much as grace is being taught in this modern day there are a lot of misconception or the subject of grace has been misconstrued many have taken the teaching of grace to the extreme and everything that you do in extreme leads to excess or leads to a sin and so for the past two weeks we have been able to correct some few misconceptions on this subject of grace a few of them were people who teach on grace say I don't have to do anything because I'm under grace, I don't have to do anything. We did answer that, that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul said, even though I'm the least of all the apostles, I am what I am by the grace of God. Yet not I, but the grace of God which is at work in me. And he went forth to say that I labor more abundantly. So, yes, he's operating under grace and in grace, but he's still working. Are you following me? The second misconception of grace is that I don't have to pray. Because I'm under grace, I don't have to pray. And we saw from Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6 from verse 5, where Jesus said, when you pray, that means prayer is a necessity. And when Jesus was teaching about what we all call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. So, so long as you are in need of daily bread, you are also in need of daily prayers. The third misconception of, of many people who take the subject of grace to the stream is that I don't have to fast. Because I'm under grace, I don't have to fast. But that is not the truth. Are you following what I'm saying? And Jesus said, 
when, when the bridegroom is with the people, they don't have to fast because, I mean, it's a time of joy. But he said, a time will come when the bridegroom will be taken and then those who are there will have to fast. So fasting is necessary for us, even under grace. The fourth misconception of the erroneous teaching of grace is that I don't have to tithe. I don't have to tithe. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 23, he said, Woe on you, ye Pharisees and scribes. You have, you have, you tithe on mint, on anum and cumin. You have neglected the weightier matters, which is justice, judgment, faith, and love, all of this. And Jesus said, all this you ought to do not to leave the rest undone. Are you following me? So, being under grace doesn't mean we don't tithe. We don't, we have, because you see, many people have taught that tithe is under the law, but that's not true. Abraham started tithing before the law came. As a matter of 500 years before the law came. Are you following me? So, Tithing is not under the law. And number five, the fifth misconception of the teaching of, of grace or, or on the subject erroneous of, on grace is I can sin at any time willfully, willingly, and I will be forgiven. <laughs> Romans chapter six, verse one and two. It says, shall we continue to sin so that the grace of God will still abound. He said, no, God forbid. Yes, we sin and God forgives us. But when you now think there is grace for you and you begin to willingly sin, that because I'm under grace, it doesn't matter. You know, I was, I was studying, just going through my, my, my notes before we came. And the Holy Spirit revealed something really powerful to me. Maybe I need to just tell you about it. We have entered into the dispensation where many of the teachers of grace are now teaching that when you sin, sin will not take you to hell. They say sin will not take you to hell. They say rejecting Jesus is what takes you to hell. Please, don't let anybody lie to you. Yes, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior will take you to heaven, right? But accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior does not mean now I can sin whilst I have Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior. Let me show you and then you'll see what I'm trying to say to you. Go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Let me read from verse 1. I read, it says, I say then, have God cast away his people, God forbid, for I also am an Israelite 
of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not what the scriptures say of Elias or Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone and thy seed, and they seek my life. But what says the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And, of, and if by grace, then it is no more works. I want you to follow this carefully. He said, there is a remnant that have, uh, have been, uh, are there according to the election of grace. And then verse 6, it says, and if by grace, then it's not no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is is no more work. Now what he's explaining here is that you can't mix both the law and grace. Are you following what I'm saying? Now those who teach on grace, they'll say you don't have to do any work. But look at it carefully. He say, and if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Right? Otherwise, Grace is no longer grace, right? But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Oh, this is so deep. I don't have the time to take you through all of it. So I actually pray that God will not take me to there. I don't know why I'm here now. I actually took it out of, because it's so deep, I need time to explain this to you. Now, turn with me to, with this scripture in, in your mind, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 11. Sorry, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. And then let's bring the balance here. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Let's read it from King James Version. King James says, A false balance is an abomination unto the Lord. A false balance. So, what what Romans chapter 11 verse 6 is saying is that there has to be a balance between grace and works. Are you getting the concept? Now, this is how faith puts it in the book of James. Faith says, faith without works is dead. 
So you can have faith and if you don't have works, your faith is dead. Same as faith without works is dead, so is your body without your spirit is dead. Are you getting the concept? So there has to be that balance. Your work and your faith must be balanced. Grace and works must be balanced. God hates a false balance. So what he's saying is that grace cannot be here and works be there. Neither can grace be there and works be down there. It has to be balanced. So if we are teaching on grace, the teaching on grace has to be balanced. When it's not balanced, it becomes an abomination unto the Lord. Are you getting this? It's so critical that we understand this subject. That's why when the disciples of Jesus were going to prepare a place for Jesus and the people there said no, they said to Jesus, should we call fire to consume these people? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, guys, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. Luke chapter 9, verse 55. It says, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. In other words, you are of the origin of grace. We are people who love. We don't kill people by fire. We don't pray prayers, devil, die by fire. Devil doesn't die by fire. If the devil would die by fire, God would have killed him by fire. Don't waste your time praying, devil, die by fire. Devil, no, he won't die. He he has an appointed time. No matter what you do, he has to fulfill his appointed time in accordance to scripture. Devil, die by fire. If witchcraft, witches die by fire. No, they will not die by fire. That's wrong prayer. You don't know what manner of spirit you are of. In this spirit, in this grace dispensation, look at verse 60, verse 56 of Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, for the son of man is not come to destroy man's life. So any prayer that has its root in destroy somebody's life, Jesus doesn't answer. Say amen. It says, for the son of man is not come to destroy man's life. So why are you praying? Destroy her. Destroy. No, no, no. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. It doesn't matter what somebody has done to you. You just want to fulfill your own, you know, prayer routines. You know, nobody, Jesus doesn't kill anybody. Last week I told you, if you ever prayed a prayer that somebody should die and they died. Now if you pray a prayer that somebody should die in the name of Jesus and they die, that prayer was not answered by Jesus. That prayer was intercepted by the devil and it was answered by the devil. (laughs) Because when we were young, 
when telephone lines came afresh and you are making phone calls, you are talking to someone somewhere and then there is a cross line and you could be hearing somebody's voice. You're saying hello to your brother or sister and somebody from somewhere is also saying hello, hello, hello. Maybe speaking French and you can hear their conversation. Sometimes there is two or four, four cross lines and you're wondering who came on my line? You didn't call them. The devil brought them on that line. <laughs> so any prayer you pray that somebody should die in the name of Jesus and it happens, that's not Jesus answering that prayer. So if somebody comes to testify, I pray that, I pray, I pray that my enemy should die and they die. That's not Jesus. Remember, the devil can also answer prayers. You say, how, pastor? Go to Matthew chapter 4. You people are taking me out of my teaching tonight, but we'll go as the Holy Spirit helps us. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 from verse 4. Now, you know, the, you know how uh, the devil, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and, um, and he was hungry. And then the devil comes to tempt him. Right? And then let's look at it carefully. The Bible says that, but he answered and said, Jesus answered and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceed out of the mouth of God. Verse 5. It says, then the devil taken him up into the holy city. So those of you who think holiness is only in the church, the devil also have a holy city. You also have a holy, the devil is, then is, is a great counterfeiter. Anything God has, he can make. Now, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like light. <laughs> Jesus said, you are the light of the world. But Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like light. So that means he can also present himself like light. That's why the Bible says that and God divided the waters from the waters. It's water but water has to be divided. So there are lights and there are lights. So it says into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. So the devil also has some temples. Now, now it's now it's not it's not secret. There are there are Satan worshippers. Yeah, they have conferences. They gather. They say this is Satan's church here in the UK. There are some in America. There are some. They gather every time. So it's not everyone saying that's why in the last days Jesus will say they came to me and say I said. I cast out demons in your name and said, depart from me. I know you not. You worker of iniquity. And he said unto him, if thou be the son of man, cast thyself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. So it's not everybody quoting the scriptures that's of God. Even the devil can quote the scripture. You think you know the Bible. Even the devil, the devil as a matter of fact, knows the Bible more than you do. (laughs) 
He is quoting the word to the word. Jesus is the word. The devil is quoting the word to Jesus who is the word. Saying, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee. Lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot again. Is that, is that not the Bible? It's the Bible. It's the Bible. That's why you have to be careful of answers to prayers. Sometimes you pray and you are waiting on an answer to prayer. The answer can come but you have to check the source. You need to check the source of the answer. Next verse, the Bible says that Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 8. Key verse. Verse 8 is key. The Bible says that again the devil taken him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world. So the devil also have kingdoms. Kingdoms. He also have kingdoms. God has a kingdom. The devil also have kingdoms. Kingdoms of the world. And the glory of them. Where did he get glory from? We were made in the image of God's glory. God is glory. We are made in his image. After his likeness. We are his glory. Now where did the devil get glory from? To say I'll give you Jesus glory. Where did he get glory from? He got glory from Adam. That's why Romans 3.23 says, For all have seen and fallen short of the glory. What glory? The glory that God gave us from the beginning. Hallelujah. Verse 9. And he said unto him, All these things I will give thee. If thou will fall down and worship me. You see, the devil also have things to give. Like I said, it's not every prayer. If you pray and say, in the name of Jesus, kill this person. And that prayer is answered. It's not Jesus who answered it. It was the devil who answered it. This, you will not hear this kind of teachings anywhere. Because any, some of the big, big places, if they teach this, the church will collapse. Check, check their prayer topics. Die by fire. Kill, 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 kill. If Stephen had prayed, kill, 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 Paul, we wouldn't have access to the gospel of grace. Because it was Paul who sanctioned, who wrote the letter. And he was then, they were stoning Stephen. Stephen looked into heaven and said, I see Jesus seated on the right hand side of God. And the more he said that, the more they were stoning him. And he said, forgive them. Paul was one of them. Somebody said, so pastor, what are you saying? That witch. That, that mother, my mother-in-law who was a witch who was sitting on my promotion. You see, you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are in Christ Jesus. How can a witch sit on your promotion? How can, how can a witch is beneath you? 
You don't know who you are. If you know who you are, you wouldn't even think that a witch is sitting on your promotion. <laughs> These days, the popular ones is you had a dream and so somebody, you know, through the dream, you know, did all kinds of stuff. Give me a dream where there are nice food. I'll eat all of them in the dream. Where did all these things come from? You had a dream, and it's because of that. No, come on now. Hallelujah. Are you getting something out of this? Wow, you've taken me to so many places. Let me come back home. There are two dangers that faces the church of today. Two dangers. Number one is what I call the traditions of men. Number two is mixing grace and law. So let's quickly go and look at the traditions of men in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. I read, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So, you see, we are being cautioned to beware. We have to beware of, we have to beware of that no man spoil us through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after, after Christ. Today, things of the world is in the church more than the things of the church in the world. Today, in most churches, the word has no value in our lives anymore. We do as we feel. I feel like. So I just, so, so today, that's what we have to be very careful. Today, the church bases its doctrine on popular opinion. What is popular? What people are saying is popular. You'll be shocked, those who are making laws. What they are made of. So, traditions of men is a danger to the message of grace. That's what somebody will teach you and say, if you sin, sin will not take you to hell. That's not true. The Bible says, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. <laughs> Today, I'm going to show you some things and you'll say, What? Do we really want to be under grace or we want to be under the law? Number two, mixing grace and the law. And you know, in, in the subsequent teaching, I taught on how we have to be careful not to mix grace and law. Because the moment you mix the old with the new, remember Jesus said, you cannot put new wine in old wine skin. If you mix the two, what happens is there is a spillage. 
And remember I told you that spillage damages the environment and that spillage actually destroys human lives. Because remember, we are teaching human beings. So if you're not careful and you teach the wrong word, somebody will take that word and go and do it. And that's their life destroyed. So we cannot mix grace and law together. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul said, I marvel that you have so soon removed from that, from him that called you into the grace of Christ into or onto another gospel. What we have today in the world is another gospel in most places. We have to be careful. Amen. Listen, we are justified freely by grace. We have been justified freely by grace. Romans chapter 3 verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we have been justified by grace. In other words, grace justified you. Say amen to that. That's why the teaching on the subject of grace must be balanced. Because a false balance, like I said, is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1. A false balance is an abomination unto the Lord. Romans chapter 11 verse 5 and 6. So we have to make sure we are not misbalancing grace and works or grace and faith. It's very important. Under grace, we are subjected to a higher standards more than when we were under the law. Under grace, you are subjected to what? Higher standards. So let's go and look at some of the standards under grace. Are you ready for this? Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. I won't read it all. There's more down there, but when you get home, take time and read. Remember, this is Bible studies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Now, how many of you remember the Beatitudes? Jesus' most popular teachings on the mount when he was teaching on the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You remember that? So coming down, listen to what Jesus is saying. This is still part of his teaching. He said, Ye have heard it said by them of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that true? Is that true? You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But listen to grace. Listen to Jesus. Verse 28, it says, But I, grace, I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. (laughs) So that means under grace, you don't commit the act. The thought makes you a sinner. Did you get that? Under the law, 
you are only guilty when you commit the act. But under grace, just the thought makes you guilty. Verse 29, it says, If thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. Oh, this is powerful. Uh, let me, let me take, take a little bit of time here and explain this. Now listen carefully to what Jesus is saying. That's why we have to be careful about those who teach you that if you sin, sin will not take you to hell. Now listen carefully to what Jesus is. Jesus said that if you're right, I offend you. Pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members shall perish and not thy whole body shall be cast into hell. He's talking about sin here. He said if your eye causes you to sin, remember he just spoke about when you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed the act already. So Jesus is teaching and saying that if your eye, you are, you, are, you, are, you are being lustful, it is better you take off that eye. So that means under grace, if you're really, really going to live under grace, there should be many people around with one eye. <laughs> one eye. One eye must be up. We have to see only one eye because even, even one eye, two eyes have to go because... By the time you woke up from your house till you got here. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? By the time you got here, there are many, 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 many sins your eye have committed. You should be with, without an eye. So Jesus is saying, is saying that it is better to have one eye and to enter into heaven than have both eyes and go to hell. That's what he's saying. So, if sin doesn't take you to hell, Jesus would not have said it. Yes, if you reject Jesus, you will not make heaven. That is true. But after accepting Jesus, this is not the time now to say, oh, free chance to commit every sin. No. The scriptures are clear. Verse 30. It says, if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. How many of you, your right hand has offended you? <laughs> Do you still have your right hand? Jesus said, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members shall perish and not thy whole body shall be cast into hell. And those people who say hell is not real, you die and see. You wait. Commit all the sins. Reject Jesus. Die and see where you end up. Verse 31. It has been said. Whosoever shall put away his wife. 
let him give him a writing of divorcement. This is in the past. But look at what grace says. Grace says, but I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, caused him to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committed adultery. This one is very powerful. I don't want to go in this one. If I go in this, we will not finish. This one is very powerful. Hallelujah. Are you getting something out of this? So it's important for us to balance our walk with Christ. Amen? Now, finally, let's go and look at a case studies. And then we'll close. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 9. 2 Samuel, chapter 9, from verse 1 to 13. Now, all I've been teaching this past three weeks is the importance of balance that we have to understand balance when it comes to the teaching of grace or the subject of grace. There has to be what? Balance. It's very critical that we understand this because if you don't understand or bring in the balance, then you're going to veer into error. Are you following me? So we have to operate in balance. So I'm going to show you a very interesting case studies of how grace functions. I want to show you how grace operates, or let, let me put it this way, how grace should function in today's church. How grace should function. And remember, when we talk about grace, we are not only talking about a subject, we are talking about Jesus Christ, and so on and so forth. So, 2 Samuel chapter 9 from verse 1, I read. The Bible says that, now before I read, let me just give you a quick background. How many of you know who David is in the Bible? David the king. How many of you know who Jonathan is? You know Jonathan? How many of you know who Saul is? Good. All right. Now, how many of you remember... um, uh, David was a shepherd boy and, and Saul was having evil spirits tormenting him. And because of that, Saul needed somebody to play the harp that could take away the evil spirit. 
And before then, David was anointed by Samuel that he's going to be the next king because Saul had rejected the word of God. And Samuel said to Saul that because you have rejected the word, God has rejected you. For it is better to obey than to sacrifice. Remember that? So David was anointed as king to replace Saul. So Saul was just a caretaker king. But David was being trained by God on the desert. So now when, when one day David's father Jesse gave him food to go and give to his brothers because there was war. Uh, Goliath was threatening God's people. And because of that, just when David got to the battlefield, the Bible says that he had Goliath. And David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who is defying the armies of God? And as a result of that, you know what happened? David was given the opportunity to fight Goliath. He killed Goliath, brought Goliath down. And as a result of that, the king exempted David and his whole household from paying taxes. And then he was introduced into the palace. Now, when David was introduced into the palace, he became very good friends with Jonathan. Remember, they became very good friends. Now, when they became good friends, every time evil, evil spirit comes upon Saul, he tries to kill David. And David will run and go to the wilderness. And one of the key things that was happening in those days is that Jonathan will leave the palace and come to the wilderness and, and encourage David. And the Bible says that David was sleeping in the woods in the wilderness of Ziph. Oh, this is powerful. So David is in the woods. David is sleeping in trees. Jonathan will come from the palace. will have a chat with David and will go. And the Bible says that their soul was knitted together. And they became very good friends. Now, in the midst of that, they made a covenant. I want you to follow this. This is very important. They made a covenant. And the covenant was that David said, I am going to be kind to you no matter what happened. Because at this point, Jonathan already knows that David was going to become the next king. But his father didn't want it to be so. So, you know the story. Later on, David becomes king because Saul was killed in battle. Not just him, his son Jonathan was also killed. Both of them were killed. So now finally, David is a king now. But remember, he made a covenant with, with Jonathan many years ago. He made a covenant with Jonathan many, many, many years ago. So now at this point, David wants to fulfill the covenant he made with Jonathan years ago. I don't know what covenant God has upon you. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It will come to pass. Because God is a covenant keeping God. He doesn't negate on his covenant. That's why I'm excited for Covenant 2019. This year's covenant, God will fulfill every covenant he made with you and generations before you. He will bring it to pass. Say a good amen. So, 
At this point, David is now king and he wants to reciprocate or he wants to, he wants to do good the covenant he made with Jonathan. Now remember, Jonathan is dead years ago. He's dead, dead, gone. But the covenant is still in oppression. There are some covenants still in oppression in your life. Things might not have gone the way you expected it, but I prophesy to you, God will fulfill the, those covenants. Say a good amen. So let's go to Second Samuel chapter 9 from verse 1. I read the Bible says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left in the house of Saul? I want you to notice his choice of words. Is there any left in the house of Saul? Not the house of Jonathan. In the house of Saul. Now remember, Saul was David's number one enemy. So you see, when you operate in grace, when you understand grace, you still do good to your enemies. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. What happened to kill my enemy? Grace don't kill. So David said, is there anyone in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Oh, this is, this, I can stay here for 10 years. I can preach on just this one verse for 10 years. David is saying, is there anyone in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness, not because of Saul, but for Jonathan's sake? That's why I always say that, you know, thank God for prayer, thank God for fasting. All these things are good. But I rather rely on Jesus' sake. I'll rather boast on what Jesus has done. I'll rather boast in the Holy Spirit. In my weakness, he is interceding. Whilst I'm sleeping and snoring, whilst I'm tired, the Holy Spirit is interceding on my behalf. He said, for Jonathan's sake, I want to show him kindness. And there was one of the house of Saul, a servant Name whose name was Ziba. I want you to notice this person, this character called Ziba. Ziba here represents the modern day pastor. David here represents God. Jonathan represents Jesus. And anybody there represents the unbeliever. Anybody there that David wants to show kindness to, we'll see his name shortly. He is the unbeliever. <laughs> so as Christians, we must learn to show kindness to unbelievers. The Bible puts it this way. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Read Luke chapter 5. What did, what did, what did uh, Peter say after 
he enclosed a great multitude of fishes. He said to Jesus, depart from me for I'm a sinner. He was a sinner, but Jesus still showed him kindness. <laughs> he was a sinner, but Jesus still gave him a breakthrough. He was a sinner, but Jesus still gave him a miracle. He was a sinner, but Jesus still gave him a testimony. We have to learn to show the world kindness. They need it. If there's anything that has left the church, it's kindness. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, the Holy Spirit would prompt me. There was an elderly lady the Holy Spirit will prompt me, give this woman money. And I was giving her money. I don't know her. I just do as the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit will prompt me, give this person. What happened? It doesn't happen in today's church. What's happening? Yeah, people have needs around us. There are needs around us. People are going through challenges. What's happened to the Modi day? church. Where is the kindness? The world needs to see us that we are kind people. Kind hearted people. Because Jesus is kind. The Bible says verse 2 and there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba and when they had called him unto David the king said unto him art thou Ziba? And he said thy servant is. And the king said, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Listen to Ziba's response. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan had yet a son which is lame on his feet. Was that the question David asked? Can you see the modern day pastors? Can you see Ziba? Can you see Pastor Ziba here? God is asking, is there any unbeliever there that I can show kindness? Pastor Ziba says, uh, mm -mm, mm -mm, there is none. Pastor Ziba said, and, the, and Ziba said, Jonathan has yet a son who is lame in his feet. Did, were you asked whether he's lame or not? Were you asked? God already knows all things. But Pastor Ziba said, this one you're looking for, he's lame. <laughs> he's lame. He, he, he's lame. He doesn't deserve to be among us. He's not qualified. And look at his response. If I had time, I'll teach you this in detail, but we don't have the time. But look at his response. Verse 3, the Bible, and the king said, Is there yet any of the house in, in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan had yet a son. David never asked of Jonathan. So see, number one, he wants to disqualify everything the king is asking. Jonathan had yet a son, which is lame in his feet. Is the world lame in their feet? Yeah. 
the world, they are on antidepressant pills. They are lame. Their relationships are in disarray. Now they call something fluidity. They are lame. Somebody wakes up today, he said, I feel like a man. Tomorrow he said, I feel like a woman. Lame. Lame in their feet. Lame. Are you following what I'm saying? Lame in their feet. But the church is called to help the lame walk. That's what we've been called for. To help the lame walk because if somebody is lame, that means they need help. They need kindness. You don't see somebody lame and, and push them down and kick them down. No, that's not what we are here for. Somebody said drunkard, lame on their feet. Those are the people God needs in his house. A prostitute, lame in their feet. Those are... I'm telling you, if Jesus was here today, a woman was caught in the very act. They said, Jesus, the law says we must stone. Jesus said, if any of you have not seen, cast the first stone. And many of us, we see them lame on their feet. We don't want to help them. They are crying. They say, help! Help. But you know, the world is very arrogant. So, they are crying help inside. They are in their houses struggling. They are on pills, antidepressant pills. They are all kinds of medications. Have you seen people are desperate? They will do anything and everything. Pastor Ziba, God never asked you whether is lame or not. Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. The pastor saw the, the man beaten. He walked. He said, I'm late for church. <laughs> That's the church. The church is, is by you. You say you are late for the church is not the building. The church has been beaten. The church is brew, is breeding, is bleeding. Instead of taking care of the church on the floor, you say you are late for church. You are going. The misconceptions of grace. This week, this month, this year, we need to go and look for those who are lame and let them know that Jesus can help you in your lameness. That's why in this church we don't judge people. Nobody has a right to judge you. I can smell alcohol on you. I still will love you, will pray for you, care for you the same way I'll care for everyone. Because the sheep is not supposed to be perfect. The sheep is supposed to be taken care of. I can see you in a nightclub. You come to church, we'll not talk about nightclub. 
I say, you're right, brother. You're right, sister. I still love you. I'll encourage you until you come to the place of perfection. Are you following what I'm saying? Don't judge somebody. Somebody might walk to the church today in a miniskirt. Don't judge them. That's all they have. Don't go say, <clears throat> praise the Lord. You come, when we say it's testimony time, they come and say, praise the Lord. I have a testimony. Test, my testimony is, in this church, we don't wear short minutes. Who are you? You are a devil. <laughs> Do you know whether maybe that person has just lost their house? You don't know. Maybe somebody might come to church now in their night, nighty or, 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 or pajamas. Don't criticize them. Maybe their house is just been on fire, God forbid, and that's all they had. And they've rushed into the house of God for, for safety, for comfort. And they come in and you look at them in a funny way. There are lots of lame people out there. And they need help. Verse 4, the Bible says, and the king said unto him. Now remember, Ziba said he was lame, but the king ignored the lameness answer. The king still asked. You see, even though you are lame, God is still interested in your case. The king said unto him, where is he? He might be lame. He might be a drunkard. He might be a prostitute. He might be fluid or unfluid. He might not know his left from on right. God is still asking, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Micaiah. Oh, this is powerful. Micaiah was one of the men who helped David. When Saul was chasing David, Micaiah brought food to David. Michael, the son of Amel in Lodiba. Lodiba was one of the places David had to go and hide. Oh, this is powerful. David, during the time when Saul was looking for him, David went to Lodiba because, you see, it's not all the time you have to be in the limelight. Lodiba means obscurity. Sometimes God has to hide you from your enemies. You see, everybody wants to be in the light, in the spotlight. Hey, this is me. But I'm telling you, there is heat in the spotlight. Sometimes God will hide you in Lodiba, in a place of obscurity. And guess who was chasing him in those days? His son Absalom was looking to kill him. And guess who was giving Absalom counsel when, uh, sorry, yes, Absalom counsel when they were looking for David? Ahitophel. And Ahitophel's counsel is like the counsel of God. Absalom rejected his counsel and he went and put his house in order and crucified himself. He killed himself. Committed suicide. So, Ziba said, can you see, Ziba is answering all the wrong things. Number one, he said he's lame. Number one, he says, Jonathan's son. Number two, he says, he's lame. Now he's saying, he's in 
Lodiba, a place of obscurity. In other words, God, forget this one. Where they have gone, nothing can bring them back. <laughs> nothing can bring them back. Just forget about I know God, you are a God of kind God. You love people, but this one is in Lodiba. When we were when we were in, in, in Pastor Tao's church last month, they were singing a song. Uh, yeah, my God is awesome. Is awesome. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, he keeps me in the valley, hides me from the rain. I started crying. When that phrase came, he hides me in the valley, protects me from the rain. I started crying. You know, there are some rains that want to destroy you. But God is hiding you in the valley. You are wondering, God, when is my time going to come? But God is hiding you in the valley for a purpose. For a purpose. Sometimes God will take you to Lodiba for a purpose. For a purpose. This ministry, we've been in our Lodiba stage for a purpose. A time is coming, God will bring in millions of people and we'll be wondering what happened. Because you see, there is a, a Lodiba season. Understand that season and enjoy it. The Lodiba season can sometimes be you can't pay for your children's school fees. You are wondering what's happening. Sometimes you can't pay for your rent. Sometimes you can't pay for your mortgage. You are wondering what's happening. That's the low deeper season. It's just, just go through the season. Listen, God is still looking for you in low deeper. And I prophesy over you that God will find you. His outstretched arm will find you in low deeper. In the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the Bible says, then verse 5, then King David sent. Oh, I love that. He's in Lodiba, but King David still sent for him. I don't know who I've come to prophesy to. They will send for you. I said they will send for you. You see, like David, they will tell you, we will not sit down until he comes. Because they have to anoint you. What I'm telling you, they will anoint you as king of the nations. I'm waiting for the day where I have the number plate. This is the one. <laughs> when he's coming, they say, this is the one he's coming. That will be your story from today. And this is the one he's coming in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Michael, the son of Amiel, from Lodiba. Listen, grace will bring you out of obscurity. It doesn't matter how deep you are, grace will bring you out. Verse 6, the Bible says, now when, now, now, this is the first time we have been introduced to his name. Verse 6, all this while, the, you know, the subject, the conversation is going on. His name never came. 
they were describing him by his condition and his position and his place. He's lame. He's a low neighbor. He's in obscurity. There are some people who are trying to hide your name. They'll do everything possible for your name not to come up. But your name is coming up. I said your name is coming up in the name of Jesus. Verse 6, the Bible says that when, now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and he did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, behold thy servant. And David said unto him, fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. For Jesus' sake, God will show you kindness. Say amen. Thank God for your prayers. Thank God for your fasting. But what God is about to do for you in this season, it will be because of Jesus' sake. I will show you kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake. And I will restore to thee all the land of Saul thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually <laughs> say a good amen to that your location is changing your position in life is changing God is bringing you to that table the table that matters the table where decisions are being made. God is bringing you to that table in the name of Jesus. They say, the Bible says that he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shalt look upon him such a dead dog as I am? Look at Mephibosheth. He's describing himself as a dead dog. Then the king called to Ziba. Saul's servant. Remember Pastor Ziba? He's still there. He thinks he's been left. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Verse 10. Let's jump to verse 10. The Bible says that thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Somebody said the tables are turning. And thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Can you believe it? Ziba had 15. Now, Ziba was actually the servant of Mephibosheth. Ziba has, because Jonathan is dead, because Saul is dead, Ziba has taken over Mephibosheth's property. He sent Mephibosheth to Lodiba into obscurity. Now, he's had many children, 15. He has 15 children and 20 servants. Some people have been enjoying your booty. But after today, <laughs> God is about to turn the tables. Hallelujah. 
Verse 11, then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that Lord has, the king has commanded to his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, saith the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Now remember, Mephibosheth is so lame at, the ta- at his leg. What is God teaching us? We have to still bring the world to the table of God. The table of grace. The table of kindness. The table of love. With their lameness. Yeah, let them come. Let them come. Let them come. As they come, they will encounter healing on their leg. In the name of Jesus. Now his position is changed. He is like one of the king's sons. The story of Mephibosheth had a younger son, a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwell in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. Can you imagine? Mephibosheth had only one son. Ziba had 15. You remember that scripture that said, um, princes are walking on ground and servants are riding on horseback. This is the case. Mephibosheth is a prince. Ziba is a servant. But Ziba has taken over Mephibosheth's properties. Mephibosheth had only one son. Ziba had 15. How is he taking care of them? With Mephibosheth's money. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. Oh, I love that. Remember where was he before? In Lodiba. Now he's moved from Lodiba to Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents the place of praise. The city of the heavenly Jerusalem. That's our city. God is changing somebody's location. God is changing somebody's location. In the name of Jesus. He's changing somebody's address. In the name of Jesus. For he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. Hallelujah. He was lame, but he was still eating on the king's feet. When the people come in, it's not the time for us to criticize them. They might be weak. What do we do? We pray for them. We pray with them. We strengthen them. We encourage them. Brother, it is well. You can do it. That is what it means to let the world understand what grace is. Grace does not destroy. Grace does not kill. Grace loves. Let's understand what Jesus came to do. And once we understand this, God will take us far. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Did you receive it? Did you receive it today? Let's give Jesus a better praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's rise up on our feet.
Thank you so much for taking time to listen to The Solution Word by Pastor Adama Segbeji. For prayer or further details, please call us on 01293-885000. Or why not visit us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Solution, Barnfield Road, Northgate, Crawley, RH10, 8HQ. Your experience at Solution is sure to be a time of great blessing. Solution, bringing hope to the hopeless and solution to the nations. Covenant is here again. Join host Pastors Adama and Zama Segbeji for Covenant 2019 with the theme, Let My Covenant People Go, with special guest speakers, Pastors Taiwo and Nomthi Odekoya from the Fountain of Life Church, Lagos, Nigeria. Guest artists include Lydia Cobbs, Victory Voices, and Vine Song. Dates are 14 through 16 August 2019, 7 p.m. each night. Venue is Solution Chapel International, home of signs, wonders, and miracles. Barnfield Road, Northgate, Crawley, RH10-8DS. Call 07938-494-294 or email info at solutionchapel.org. The website for more information is solutionchapel.org. Again, that's 14 through 16 August 2019, 7 p.m. each night at Solution Chapel International. Don't miss Covenant 2019. Let my covenant people go.